Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Record temperatures, devastating wildfires, more severe weather. Scientists have tied that and more to climate change. It's also sparked an international movement of voices calling for action. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? That's Swedish activist Greta Thunberg chastising world leaders last fall for their inaction on climate. Another leading voice on climate change is Gina McCarthy. McCarthy led the EPA during President Obama's second term. She championed protections like the Clean Water Act and signed the Clean Power Plan. Now McCarthy is president and CEO of the Natural Resources Defense Council. It's one of the nation's most influential environmental action groups. She began the conversation with her opinion of the young people leading the charge for climate change action. I think it's terrific, but it's also a little bit heartbreaking. Mm. Every time I hear Greta Thunberg speak, my heart breaks for her and for others. And it's sort of a reminder to the rest of us that we have a responsibility to the next generation. And they're certainly not going to sit around and wait for us to decide to do the right thing. And we just can't let them down. But there's an excitement and an energy that's powerful around it, too, which is what brings me hope. Mm. And that was my next question, was where your optimism is right now and and whether you are optimistic about the current state for action around climate. I actually am. And most people find that to be a bit bizarre because most of, of what I did and what Lisa Jackson did in the first term of the Obama administration is being, you know, wiped out at this point or at least attempted to be wiped out. But I am optimistic. I'm optimistic for a couple of reasons. One is that is that if you look at what's happening in Washington, yes, they're trying to roll back everything, but I'm at NRDC because they have great lawyers, and they're suing this administration uh, right now a hundred times, and they've been winning 90 percent of those, which is a pretty good mark to get, at least uh, based on my college years. It was better than most. (laughs) So it's important for people to remember that everything they read is not lost. Mm. And we also have to get our heads out of Washington and look at what's going on in the real world. And that's where you see activists like Greta Thunberg. That's where you see mums groups out there speaking up. That's why you see Black Lives Matter happening, like the Me Me Too movement. All of these people are signaling that government is right now not working for the people, and we have to make it work for the people. That's what democracy is all about. And I'm excited to see that energy and passion happening. I'm excited to see that we have basically states really coming together and saying, we don't care about a climate denial president. We're going to do what we need to do for our people. They can see the fires and the wildfires and the floods and the droughts. People in the Great Lakes can see that we've gone from having incredibly low water levels seven years ago to having the water levels creep up and and flood the communities along there and sweep the beaches out of the way. And so we can see, feel, and taste it. And they're activating cities and states. 
and and frankly, Jen, I've been in this work for so long. I remember the 60s and 70s. And change doesn't happen in this country any other way than we work for it community by community, state by state. And the federal government's always the last to show up at the party. And I'm fine with that, especially right now. Well, that brings me to the EPA. Um, You left the EPA when President Trump took office. And as you said, since then, according to a New York Times analysis, the Trump administration has rolled back over 90 regulations. What is the state of the Environmental Protection Agency right now? They're having difficulties. You know, I can't say that I talked to all the people there. If I did, I wouldn't say it anyways. Uh, But there's a lot of really terrific people working at EPA. I was just so proud to run that agency because they had the best scientists and they had the best lawyers. And we knew what we would do and we followed the law and we knew the rules that we we move forward were going to make sense for everybody. You know, we worked with people. We were transparent. Now, basically, you have an administration that's attacking the scientists, that's attacking the science, even their own hand-picked science advisory board, where they kicked off all the qualified people and put on business people. They're telling the administration that they're not following the science and they better be careful. It's, I think, right now a very difficult place to work. Uh, But they're professionals. They're going to have to figure it out, and they're going to have to ride it out because every time they leave is an opportunity for bringing in somebody who's not qualified, somebody who doesn't care about the mission of the agency, and share the views of the American public who absolutely want to have the protections that EPA has afforded because it keeps them and their families healthier. Well, that brings me to your new role at the NRDC. Just talk a little bit about your policy priorities now in this role. Well, number one, it's to try to uh, continue to personalize climate change, to let people know that it's not about the planet. It's actually about them and their kids. It's about our health, and it is about our economy. You know, we cannot live in a world that is unstable as climate change threatens to bring to us. So we need to explain the problem, but we really need to broaden the solutions. I want NRDC to be in a leadership position to talk about the solutions available and to bring and broaden the constituencies who care about those. You know, in the environmental world and others, we tend to pigeonhole our ourselves. I I need partnerships. We need to get at the communities that have been left behind. Pollution is not an equal opportunity killer. It goes after minority. It goes after black communities. It goes after Hispanic Latinos. It goes after uh, young people. It goes after old people. Basically, it's whoever is vulnerable, the poor and the young and the elderly, uh, where you're going to see the, the most impact. And we have to call it out. People inherently don't want unfairness, and there's nothing more unfair than climate change. And so we really have to broaden the tent so that every community sees their values and views reflected in solutions moving forward. You know, you have people fighting against electric vehicles. Well, you can do that, but you've got a vehicle that if we did our job at the federal level and brought the number of vehicles up, their cost would go down. We'd be able to bring bigger tax credits so that they were available to everybody. And there's two really cool things about electric vehicles. One is they're better. If you've ever driven one, they're much more responsive because they're a a motor, not an engine. They work great. But the second thing is they don't cost anything on repairs. Think about it. 
what's wrong with that? Why are we fighting that instead of saying, you know, I want one of those. Let's figure it out. If you want to take care of heat stress in cities, it's about, you know, basically uh, building playgrounds for our kids to play in. It's about bikeable and walkable cities. It's about uh, green spaces and, and trees. None of those things seem to be sacrifices or oppressive regimes that we need to impose on people. So what I'm trying to figure out is how do we make the case to a broader group of people that climate change is about them and their communities, and that if you think about it, it is there's huge investments that are going to have to be made on climate. Why aren't we investing in the future? I'm not trying to stop the past. I'm trying to have a better world in the future. And you could think about that, not just from planet or climate change perspective, but the equity it can bring to the table. Well, you mentioned electric vehicles, and, and that reminded me that the trend in car buying right now is towards trucks, yeah. larger vehicles. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we're having two different conversations right now, because I hear you talking about movements that could be made towards addressing climate mm-hmm. change. But how we behave as consumers yes. doesn't necessarily match that. How do you bring those conversations into the same space? Yeah. One of the things that we're trying to do is to move beyond climate change to talk about fossil fuels. Fossil fuels connects the dots in a lot of the things that are the most threatening to us. So if you look at it, consumer behavior is hugely important. You know, we, we have, as, as you know, contamination in the Midwest from PFAS and these chemicals that were discharged into our waters and streams that are now showing up in our drinking water and in our bodies. Those are all synthetic fuels. Do you know where, what that means? It means they're fossil fuel-based. People are worried about the oceans. They should because there's soon going to be more plastics than there are fish. And so if you look at that, the reason why they're not plastics doesn't go away is because it's fossil fuel-based. So you look at the chemicals in your body that aren't going away. You look at, at the climate change that, that's happening. And then you look at clean energy and ask, why don't we want that? Why isn't that the, the fuel of choice is no fuel? Then you can, I think, get people to understand that consumers do matter. Now, we had BPA in baby bottles. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Then Walmart decided they didn't want it anymore, and the industry went on its head. And Walmart said it because consumers didn't want it anymore. So if we can get the young people engaged, there is no one who buys more stuff than young people, at least judging from my three children. (laughs) Good Lord. And if we got them to purchase in a way that was more reflective of what we need to do to move forward, good things will happen. I've never seen a science issue that was as partisan as the issue of climate change. And I think that's because the fossil fuel industry did a heck of a job first denying it. And now they're trying to tell us that the solutions aren't real solutions, that they'll cost us more money. And it's simply not true. It's a better future we need to drive towards. And that's what I think. I'm hoping NRDC can lead that charge. I think they can. You know, we've faced crises before. Uh, When the ozone layer was under deep threat, the NRDC had a major role in turning that around. What do you think success looks like for collective action on an environmental issue? What does it take? Well, Jen, thanks for asking that. I mean, it it takes us all working together and recognizing the multitude of benefits of the actions we want to take. I'm hoping 
that uh, all of the folks that recognize that even if climate change wasn't happening, we don't live in a stable world. We have to make changes in our lives. And many of those changes are just going back to a sense of place again, you know, uh, maybe get out of our computers a little bit and into our communities. I encourage people in their homes to do simple things like change their light bulbs and energy efficiency measures in their homes. But in reality, I'd love to see people in their own communities developing their own plans. What, what kind of plan? Back in the 80s and 90s, we started to do things called climate change action plans. And they were basically, how do I want to live my life? I want to be able to ride my bike to work. <laughs> I want to be able to have public transportation instead of sitting in traffic jams. And since the 80s and 90s, when we were talking about this, you can't get across any city. I live in the city of Boston. I love it dearly, okay? I love my city. But now the only time you can actually drive a car around is somewhere between 10.30 and 1.30. Beyond that, we can't move. It is just too crowded. How are we going to reconcile that? We're going to do exactly what we wanted to reduce our air pollution, and we're going to do exactly what we wanted to actually move into this century for clean energy. That's what we're going to do. We're going to build public transportation again, and we're going to make it affordable, and we're going to make it work for us. Do you think that's part of of what gets lost in this conversation? Because so often when we have conversations about the climate, about the environment, people feel overwhelmed. They're like, I don't even know where to start. But what I hear you saying is to perhaps start with just how you want your life to look and feel. Exactly. Exactly. So the way I see it is I've got this little bank of solutions that's going to buy me a lot. And unfortunately, it's stuck in a shell that people can't break through because they're so disheartened by what's going on in Washington that they think nothing is going to fix it. When, frankly, President Obama came in, at least for the EPA, with myself and Lisa Jackson, we were hit with a legacy of no action the prior eight years during the George Bush administration. You know, that's what we came in with to fix. Only we were smart enough to take advantage of it and do it right so it lasted. But it also sounds like what you're suggesting is not an altogether altruistic act. So it's not we have to save the world. I I have to create a life that's livable for me. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. If if we didn't have to say the word environment, I wouldn't be unhappy. You know, if I didn't have to say climate change and explain it and get over that blank face, say, well, if it's a climate, how am I going to fix it? I don't blame them for thinking like that. And we've tried to scare the heck out of them and, and have these pictures of glaciers melting into the Arctic. Who can fix that? You know, I don't want that anymore. (laughs) When you think about this administration or the next administration, what is a a key piece of of legislation you'd like to see from the federal government that you think could really have a big impact? One of the things I'd like to see, and, and everybody's in a different place. You'll hear tax and dividend from some people. I prefer more personal things. You know, I prefer that the federal government look at the money it spends and how much money it spends to cement what we already have and keep that in place. I'd like to tell me how a farm bill supports farmers that want to do regenerative farming and get away from fossil fuel-based pesticides and fertilizers that end up in the Great Lakes with harmful algal blooms and shutting down the city of Toledo. I'd like that for a farm bill. I'd like to see our housing policies actually 
lead to housing that you want to live in, upgrading the low-income housing that we have, getting people homes and off the streets. I'd like to recognize that when it's hotter out, there's more gun violence. What are we going to do about it? I'd like to treat our senior citizens to, to an air conditioner with chemicals in it that won't contribute to climate change because our seniors are dying in their own homes from heat stress. So there's so many things that I think a federal government could do that's personal and reflective that actually makes that intimate tie that tells people that climate change is not just real, but you can fix it. We can do this ourselves. So if they want to do all these fancy tax you know, tax and dividend kind of things, that's fine. And I think in some cases that would be very helpful. But I like regulation. I'm going to demand it. And I like money spent the wisest way that we can. And that's to make sure that we're sending all the right signals. So if you want a federally backed mortgage, then you ought to have a highly energy efficient building. I want to show communities that we can change building codes and make it work for us. So what's ahead in the next few months for the NRDC? Well, in the next few months, we are going to be unveiling a new climate strategy for us because I want that climate strategy to tie in agriculture, fossil fuels, like what are we doing in our oceans? What are we doing with pesticides and fertilizers? What are we doing with the toxic chemicals that are ending up in our bloodstream? And then we're going to go out, and I'm going to go city by city, and we're going to go state by state, and we're going to get people up and active. I want to get. I want to appeal to the youth like Greta Thunberg, who are sick and tired of rhetoric instead of action. Because if there's anything that I'm known for, it's getting stuff done. And if you think I'm going to go to an advocacy organization and not do that, you're wrong. When you think about Illinois, um, it's a state that has... Uh, a manufacturing history. It does. It has a large agriculture sector, Mm -hmm. um, dense populations in Chicago. Where are the opportunities here in this state? Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities with agriculture right now to look at regenerative farming. You retain the soil, you retain its richness, so you don't need to have fertilizers and pesticides. And you have to get rid of the runoff from from the agriculture if you want to actually preserve the Great Lakes the way that we want it and all the rivers and streams. So I think there are opportunities there. There's also opportunities, I think, with young people to convince them about the food they buy and the food they eat. You know, honestly, uh, if you could just try Meatless Monday, if anyone could handle that, that would be a good thing. You know, there's little things that you can do that just show you that there are ways in which we can change our behaviors to be better to one another. But even in, even in this area, which is, it provides huge amounts of greenhouse gases into our atmosphere from this area because it's so heavily industrialized. And we have to take a little bit of a step back and realize that there needs to be stronger regulation in some of these areas. It's sort of like a -a whack-a-mole in the southeast part of of this city where you get rid of one thing you don't like and the next one pops up. We have to do better than that. We cannot continue to allow the same populations facing pollution over and over, fighting the next battle and fighting the next battle. We have to work with, uh, with the industrial sources to find ways of keeping that pollution away from the communities that are most vulnerable and, in fact, keeping it away from any of us. 
So we have to do better at looking at environmental protection in this region. We have to look better at supporting every community that wants to design its own destiny, have its own types of jobs. And we also have to recognize that there is a transition in the world. Industry is right now not involved in the climate discussion in a way that I feel I could I could tell you how to get where we need to go with industry. There are technologies we can think of, but their unwillingness to come to the table, I think, will leave them behind. I need job transitions from industries that that are no longer going to be profitable and advisable to have around anymore. And I need the the industries that are staying here to figure out a path forward through technology or other process changes to be able to continue to function well, but be the very best neighbor, not not just to our planet, but to our communities they can be. It's taken a long time for us to get to this point uh, when we look at climate change. So it's going to take a long time uh, to to get us on the other side. It is. But when you think about what success looks like at a micro level and at a macro level, how are you defining that in your mind? At the macro level, I'm looking for a stable planet. I'm looking to, to stop the emissions as quickly as possible, but to not lose our ability to keep people working, but to maximize our ability to strengthen our economy and get jobs of the future. You know, we see that happening in, in Illinois. It's doing a great job of growing clean energy jobs. The challenge we have is to make sure that they're good positions that pay. And so it is an equity issue that needs to be built into the system, and it needs to be a just transition. But, you know, environmental injustices in climate injustice right now is pretty rampant, and it's going to take a while to get there. Now, the community by community is a little bit different because what I've found in talking to communities is everybody perceives climate change differently. You know, I was doing a little bit of work just around in D.C., and I know Virginia sees it as a water problem. It's a coastal area. That's not the challenge here. The challenge here was, did you see the flooding in Nebraska, in Missouri? You have farms that have gone under that will never recover, farms that have been in families for 100 years. We have to look at what, how did that happen, what do we do next, and how do we protect ourselves? How do we keep our family farms protected? How do we f- keep our sense of place? So we have to look at resilience as well. We have to look at how we've grown and how we're going to, to uh, rethink the way in which we move the world forward. So it is recognizing that sometimes rivers will go where they choose, And how do we begin to recognize that and build safely around it and recognize that there are going to be changes that we can't stop? So there's other areas in the country like California, and you see the wildfires there. And so in many areas, we're going to have to think not just uh, about how we protect ourselves, but how we live together in a way that's going to recognize the challenges we face and, and build in the places that are best for us and Be resilient because bad things happen all the time. But in this country, we've always sort of stuck together, and we can't let climate change divide us. It is not a partisan issue. You can't define it that way. You have to see it as a human condition that we all need to fight together. That was Gina McCarthy, the former Environmental Protection Agency Administrator during the Obama administration. She's the new president and CEO of the Natural Resources Defense Council. Gina, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Jen, thanks so much for having me. 
And that's today's Reset. Are you subscribed to the podcast? If not, hit the button. We bring you conversations with the people and organizations trying to make Chicago and the world a better place to live. And you can always tell your smart speaker to play Reset with Jen White. I am Jen White. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.